Hello, and welcome to Stasis Pod, the Transformers Rescue Bots podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Jen. And I'm David. Oh, I guess I can't do the the Close Encounters music. I thought Aww. I thought we were on. I, th- I thought we were on NBC. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, uh, no! Do do do. Is that rising or lower? It's, yeah, it's rising. No, I'm bad at music. I can't read sheet music. I've tried. Oh no! Aww, I, I even played clarinet to. for a short amount of time. I had to memorize what to do because I can't read the shit. Yeah. I was perfectly good at, I learned to read sheet music when I played clarinet in like eighth grade, but then like, I didn't like the high school band teacher, so I just dropped out of band because I'm like that. (laughs) I like the idea of playing music, it's just like, musical notation makes absolutely no sense to my brain. Aww. Anyway. Alright, so yes, today's episode is The Alien Invasion of Griven Rock, episode 5 of Rescue Bots, first aired March 10th, 2012, uh, written by Greg Johnson, uh, who previously wrote Hot Shots and also wrote several episodes of Beast Wars. Ooh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, three good ones and one that is Feral Scream Part 1. <laughs> <laughs> womp womp. Also, just as a brief addendum, also for a little bit, I played bass clarinet because I was super queer even when I didn't know I was super queer. There was a difference? I didn't even know. I don't remember. That's actually Uh, the one that I briefly played. We were all clarinet players? What the fuck? I think it just looked easy. (laughs) Well, Kiny, I I got it because I had a cousin who had a clarinet and I was going to borrow theirs, but I ended up not. I got my own. No, see, Somehow, see, we, we had to take oh, interesting, and and then the actual clarinet section was super catty. So I was like, "Screw <laughs> this! I'm gonna play the bass clarinet." Yeah. And then I was like, "I don't like the high school's band teacher, so screw this." Yeah, anyway, I, I should I should have gone for the saxophone. I could have played that. Uh, could have played the bit from "Who Can It Be Now?" Ooh, I think I wanted to play saxophone or something else, but mm-hmm. I went with the clarinet because I thought it would be easier to get one somehow. Uh, it was strange. I mean, this this was during the uh, Clinton era, so uh, presumably the saxophones <laughs> were were taken quickly. Yes. Yeah, that was the thing. Almost everybody was. A they were for the cool kids. So They're speaking of-, of marching bands, well, you say cool kids, but I I knew some of those band kids. One day I could be playing this in uh, on Arsenio too, Hillary. <laughs> oh. Anyway. Ah uh, yes, yeah, we are getting. It is yet another encore presentation of uh, the uh, the Lobster and Technology <laughs> Festival parade. I I love that it starts with the parade and then he cuts in on yet another encore presentation of the parade. I I love that they're just showing it repeatedly. <laughs> they do say encore's presentation of the parade. Do they actually say it's of the one from last episode? They don't. No. And they don't say it's the one from last episode, but it's clearly the animation from last episode oh okay i didn't know pay attention to that was the same animation yes okay i really liked that it it was cute it 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 does help the this is a small odd small town feel of that like they somehow they have their own tv station yes well i mean and lots of mad science but it's such a small town that like the parade from a week ago is still the big talk of town (laughs) Oh, so, uh, so, Enos, did you catch the, uh, catch the parade rerun? Oh, yeah, it's the, uh, the fifth time I've seen it. It gets better every time. 
But it, it apparently has one, like, local TV station that has a dedicated reporter with a news van with his picture on yeah. it. Yes. Presumably yeah. because he's the only one. Also, considering... After this episode, you'd have to assume yes. I was going to say after this episode, I have to assume that he just bought that van himself. <laughs> I, I would say not only did he buy that van, he may also live in it, and it may be down by the river. <laughs> yes. Down by the river. Because in the, this is the episode where we find out that Huxley Prescott is about half Stephen Colbert from the Colbert Report and half Alex Jones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he did seem more Stephen Colbert this episode. Yes, he's he's got a very and, and then the madness sets in very strong vibe going. I mean, he kind of looks like that, and it, it's Jeff Bennett doing his newscaster voice. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but yes, we get a lot more characterization for him in this episode, and it turns out he's a crazy conspiracy theorist. Yes. Yep. He's convinced that there are aliens among them. Well, that would be nuts. Meanwhile, let's cut <laughs> to these weird-ass robots that came from nowhere. <laughs> yes. uh, preventing a giant truck full of poison from crashing into the town. This island is so dangerous. <laughs> What? Why did they not secure it better? Why did they? Why was it on a mountain road on a small island? Yet... What is it going to? Some, somewhere, Doc Green is just looking at his watch. Thinking, God, where, where the hell is my poison? <laughs> it pretty much has to be going up to his mountaintop hideout. Because, like, what else? It is says it's on the truck for delivery. Yeah. <laughs> did somebody steal it off my porch? <laughs> Iron one giant, clearly labeled canister of deadly poison. I mean, I've I've mentioned before that I have driven through the mountains many times, and there are generally like signs prohibiting certain hazardous materials. <laughs> but no, that's it's just got a big like poison symbol on the outside of it. And uh, this truck is being driven by Edgar. Who <gasps> Edgar. Is... Oh. He, he he is a big blonde yokel looking guy. I did I didn't actually pay attention to the name, guy's name at the beginning of the episode, but it comes back later. Yes, it does. It made me laugh. <laughs> so they they have to you know first you know they do manage to rescue the driver, but uh, then the giant canister of poison that is loosely tied to this truck with two straps. Again, regulations. We have regulations. Not on Griven Rock, baby. I feel like this is giving children an unreasonable idea of how much danger there is in the world. <laughs> yeah. But, um, Flying lobsters, uh, giant cans of poison. Volcanoes. <laughs> artificial volcanoes. <laughs> robot yes. dinosaurs. Well, everyone should have robot dinosaurs. Flying lobsters. 
Anyway, so Chase uh, has to uh, Chase has to ch- chase this thing down and prevent it from cracking open, and he does so without actually having anybody in him. <gasps> what now? So much of this episode is just like it's like how long ago even was this that self-driving cars would seem so far out of reach that yeah, it now does- it's just like. Every other week, it's like some asshole's Tesla ran into somebody. <laughs> well, like... I guess the thing is they're um, self-driving cars that actually work. Yeah, well, I guess yeah, that's like, the thing. This was it's 2012, also... so that was a while ago. But there was, things were going on then, and this is high-tech science island. It, it seems not out of the realm of possibility. Although, admittedly, these, these cars will also walk, which is an added step, but still... <laughs> Well, I'm sure, you know, Doc Green is looking at, uh, you know, uh, self-driving cars in the mainland. is like, well, that's just ridiculous. (laughs) Maybe. Meanwhile, uh, let me spray on my pants. (laughs) Yes. He does seem, I, I, though we did, you know, we had that robot dog, but I do feel like... Like, you know, we mentioned Sari last episode, and, you know, Professor Sumdak, his whole thing was robots, and Professor Green does not seem all that, like, big on robots specifically, and I no. think that's kind of interesting. I mean... He's oddly, he's into chemicals and automation, like improving yeah, existing vehicles. He's more of a chemistry person, so that's... And shooting newspapers. Yes. Clearly, the Butlerian Jihad has taken place on uh, <laughs> uh, on uh, Griffin Rock, and now they they only uh, you know they they have to use the spice to uh, to navigate. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, that that's oh, that's a book. Maybe I should read before the movie comes out. I never that's right. Have. Walk without rhythm, so you won't attract the worm, David. No. Well, the problem is I've been ruined by the look of the David Lynch film, and that's going to color everything. Anyway, the the rescue bots think the jig is up, because Prescott is all evidence of aliens in Griffin Rock. Look! But he's actually looking at a patch of cleared grass that he believes is a crop circle, but is in fact the path cut for uh, Mayor Lusky and his much younger-looking wife to have their uh, their weekly picnic. Uh, Maybe she's just in better shape than he is. Or she might have had... They might also be doing, like, super plastic surgery. Yeah. Also, it's not a circle, it's a square. Yes. yes. As, as Chief Burns points out, it is neither crops nor a circle. <laughs> and uh, we later find out that she is a former winner of the Miss Griffin Rock pageant. Uh-huh. Which sure. includes both a swimsuit contest and a speed calculus contest. <laughs> oh. Because Griffin Rock... Yeah. Anyway, so uh, so we go back, and Chase is pretty sure he's going to be, you know, melted down for scrap, or at least they're going to take his, or at least they're going to take his badge and gun. <laughs> also, he refers to himself as a shameless rebel. Yes, which, I mean to be fair, no, he is deeply shamed. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> he he's he's just oh, he's so cute. He's so upset that he did one small thing possibly wrong, and now he's just, like, got to completely reevaluate who he is as a person. (laughs) 
But luckily, Chief uh, Chief Burns is very reasonable about this whole thing. And he's like, listen, if it's between revealing your secret or saving a life, obviously you save somebody's life. Yes, and they name drop Optimus here, too. Which, which makes him the opposite of Kevin Costner in Man of Steel. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh. Kevin Costner would go, whoa, whoa, Chase, you know, listen. Some people are going to get poisoned. Them's the brakes. <laughs> yeah, uh. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go die in a tornado. Uh, Zack Snyder is the worst. A new bar for bad fathers in movies uh. that aren't murderous fathers. <laughs> Yeah. So cut back to uh, to Doc Green and his latest unethical science project, which is building a personal SETI dish what is, for Huxley this Prescott. Is, this is perfectly <laughs> ethical. It, it's just like the power maintenance requirements are highly dubious. Yeah, listen, this is probably a bad idea, but, uh, you know, Doc Green's got to eat. Yeah. <laughs> and And obviously this dude has a lot of money that he can spend on... Probably supporting the entire TV station just so he can be a reporter. He's got his own van. Yes, again, that he probably paid for himself. As we'll learn, is equipped with drones. Yes. Yeah, or at well, least one drone. Yes. Drone cameras. He's had the drone camera for mm-hmm. a while. Because he doesn't have a camera person. <laughs> because he's himself. the only reporter there. Yeah. He's the only journalist I mean, I, on the I, island. I don't think... I don't think uh, Prescott quite gets the thing with SETI. Like, if anybody has seen the film Contact or the not-as-good film Arrival, or sorry, well, The Arrival, not not the Amy Adams one, but the Charlie Sheen one with a bunch of backwards neat aliens and, uh, oh, well. Ron's, and Ron Silver. And have oh. sequels somehow. That do not have Charlie Sheen in them. No. Well, wow. which is, you know, improvement that's, or not. That's I mean, pretty bad. I mean, listen, the... I will strongly recommend the 90s, uh, The Arrival as a fantastically dumb 90s, oh, yeah. uh, sci-fi. I mean, Charlie Sheen's playing a nerd. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and almost pulling it off, kinda. I mean, he's got like a buzz cut and glasses, but also like a really black goatee. He looks like Drew Carey's <laughs> evil twin. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not as good as the more recent and, Arrival, which is great. Yeah, but anyway. SETI, you're supposed to, like, scan way out into the galaxy to look for alien signals, whereas Prescott thinks that the aliens are already here, which means you don't need a giant satellite dish to pick up their transmissions. You just need, I don't know, like a wiretap or something. Well, I guess (laughs) he's trying to, like, pick up the the end of the signal that's on Earth. So, So he shows them this dish has three settings. First, off. Second... L- regular power. That it, if you hear something weird, you put it on high power, and it'll pick it up. Do not leave it on high power. Ever. Not ever. Which, again, safety settings. Like there, there should be an automatic click off of the max power setting. Yes. Like something. I mean, he must be thinking that. Well, you know, you'd have to be some kind of idiot to leave it set on high, and does not realize that he has just sold this to Huxley Prescott. <laughs> Who, like, until this episode just seemed like an odd newsman. He did not seem like a complete nut bunny. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, did, does this thing just not have any fuses? And then I'm like, no, fuses. Obviously, these are the sort of scientists. Professor Green is the sort of scientist who thinks that fuses are for cowards. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so, anyway, we cut back to the fire station. It is movie night, and they are tapping into the Griffin Rock satellite to get in some satellite TV. What is with that lemur? Yeah. I don't know what is, is it, with the lemur. Is this uh, is this satellite based t- TV company based in Madagascar? I guess. I was guessing like it was the logo for this version of Netflix or something. Well, it's a satellite it, though. Why would it be a lemur? Was it for I thought it was for for the the internet service or the TV service they were connected to had like the lemur logo, but I guess it could have been the the mascot for the satellite. Maybe. Griffin Rock Lemurs. Why Maybe they sent up lemurs uh, as their as their test animals to build the uh, satellite. Ooh. Maybe. Aww, they didn't come back. Also, my, my cat is, is having feelings about where he should be in relation to myself and my desk, so I apologize for, for sudden interference here. That's Men- a good question. Would would be would the lemurs be on the side of Captain Simeon and the Space Monkeys or against them since they're <laughs> like Ooh. most of the Captain Simeon and the Space Monkeys, most of them are actually apes. Except for two? No, maybe just one is a monkey. You remember a lot more about Captain Simeon and the Space Monkeys than I do. I really liked that show. It was pretty good. It had a great goofy theme song, and and, uh, Captain Simeon was voiced by uh, the guy that played Mr. Garibaldi from Babylon 5. (laughs) Well, that'll definitely have to be a future, uh, future Patreon episode. Yes, it's so, true. uh, so, so was, but was Maurice LaMarche in it? Because he is definitely in this. Oh, he, um, he might have actually been the orangutan. It was somebody like that. <laughs> now we're looking. Yes, up. I am looking it up. <laughs> I got to know. Now we have to know. Uh, let's see. Where's the cast list? But yeah, they connect to the satellite and it does kind of like it. Like, do they have, like, an old-fashioned satellite dish like my grandparents had, where you have to, like, tune in to the particular satellite, and then you get the different channels, and then you get to see the new episode of ExoSquad a day before it airs, because you're actually getting the feed that goes to the stations? <laughs> and, uh, and yes, Maurice LaMarche is in it. Yes! <laughs> what, what's his character's name? Is it the orangutan? Uh, Dr. Splits. Yes, it is the orangutan! Fuck yeah! <laughs> Good memory. Yeah, boy. Uh, Malcolm McDowell's also on this show. Yeah, yes, he's, he's uh, Reese's. He's the Reese's. main villain. Oh, yeah. And uh, and Michael Dorn. Yeah. Oh, James Avery was the gorilla. Oh. All of them were a lot of in a lot of things back then. Yeah, it had a really great cast. Yeah, R.I.P. Uncle Phil. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, so everybody, you know, has their own idea what kind of movie they want to watch. Uh, Chase wants an action movie, specifically one with a high-speed police pursuit. <laughs> Aww. Blades wants to watch a comedy because he just loves to laugh. Yes, because he's a cinnamon roll. Uh, Boulder, he wants uh, wants a romance because he's a big softy. He is. Which, it's like, why didn't he want a nature documentary? He wants romance? I mean, well, he, he wants a narrative. Well, because he can watch nature on his own, but if he tries to watch people making out, it's weird and terrifying. Yeah, okay, that's <laughs> yes. a good point. That's why you need the narrative. And then Heatwave wants to watch a war movie. <laughs> um, like, wow. Okay. You know, Somebody I dead. and I, I, I saw someone like on Twitter just bring this up coincidentally that, and and I forget what other character they were mentioning, but they were saying that someone was like. Like Heatwave 
is this character who is obviously not equipped for the setting that he's been put in. Like, he sh- he's not ready to... It's like the whole thing with Jack not being prepared to be in a Greg Weissman episode. Like, yeah. Heat Wave is he, not prepared to be in a kid's show. He's oh not no. equipped for this. <laughs> he's, he's from a different genre show. He is. So, yeah. He Deep wants down, he wants movie. to be written by Frank Miller. <laughs> oh, he does. <gasps> but, you know, there's yeah, a good yeah. conflict to to being that character. So, yeah, he yeah. he wants to be, he wants to watch a war movie. Mm. Instead, they somehow end up watching a... Uh, a historical movie that explores the natives of Tatooine, which... Well, see, Cody has the remote. Yes. So Cody mm. gets to make the call. So they're going to watch a historical drama, as he describes which, it. Yes. Uh, this is absolutely is... the kind of stuff my father watches all the time. <laughs> a as movie he... about colonialism on a small island with... Um... Orson Welles what sounds like the brain. Although yes, Orson Welles. This, this is exactly yeah. the sort of stuff. It, it was either it was either that or Midsummer Murders, but with the TV set to the wrong aspect ratio for some reason. <laughs> the uh, like the French champagne, very large, expensive plasma TV that they could not bother to actually set to the right <laughs> picture what? settings. I've seen my parents do that. I, I'd rather it's the wrong aspect ratio than that image smoothing, which yeah. just makes everything look like garbage. Boomers are just except for sports or something. Who cares about sports? And, but, and then the, the the really really weird thing about this movie is that all the all the ads about uh, during it are for uh, for frozen peas and uh, fish sticks. <laughs> <laughs> They're full of country goodness and green penis. penis. Wait, that's uh, terrible! I quit. Oh, what the hell? I need the is money. There DVD, is there a DVD set of that show out? Because I, I feel like that's one of those things that's stuck in a rights nightmare somewhere. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's it's available as far as I know. It no. absolutely should be. So Maybe it's on good. Hulu or something. Maybe. I'll have to look into that. Anyway. Oh, what luck. There's a French fry, is... there's a French fry stuck in my beard. <laughs> this, is, this is absolutely the kind of movie that, that my father watches, so... And of course, this is one hundred percent Maurice LaMarche doing his Orson Welles impression. And yeah, okay, okay a... it was Mar- Maurice LaMarche. Oh, I was like, absolutely. I wasn't entirely positive because he only says like a few things, and that's the only lines of that in the movie, which or in the show, that admittedly do get repeated. But it's like, Ugh. yeah, I mean, he's sort of known for doing that an voice. extremely good Orson Welles. He's like the guy you get when you need to do Orson Welles. Well, in fact, in uh, in Ed Wood, um, for that scene at the end where Ed Wood meets Orson Welles, played by Vincent mm-hmm. D'Onofrio, they actually overdubbed Vincent D'Onofrio with Maurice LaMarche's <laughs> Orson Welles impression. <laughs> <laughs> Telling That's me about perfect. it. In, in my next picture, they want me to cast Charlton Heston as a Mexican. Oh, I don't know if you're hearing my cat here having some drama, but he needs my lap, so... Oh, he, he doesn't care for my Orson Welles impression. I, I guess not. Come on. I, I, at first, I couldn't tell if it was Maurice LaMarche's Orson Welles impression or his Vincent Price impression. Actually, the... Because he uh, also does a good Vincent Price. <laughs> well, so much so that uh, the, in that Scooby-Doo uh, follow-up movie to 13 oh, yeah. Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, they have Maurice LaMarche just doing his Vincent Price. <laughs> Also, yes, I absolutely must tend to this cat because his paw is perilously close to turning off my power strip oh, to dear. my computer. No. 
kitty mouse. <laughs> okay, so do we need to take a bit of a break here? Nope, nope. Oh, he's fine. Okay, he, okay. Uh, he, he is, uh, I, I was uh, mentioning on, on Twitter <clears throat> that uh, I had to get a smaller keyboard so the desk has enough room for my cat, and he is in his spot on, like, almost half my desk now. So we are, we are taken care of. Hello, so everyone. Anyway, Here's my so, cat. Yeah. So, so they they watch this movie, and unfortunately, this transmission also happens to be picked up by Prescott's dish. So he turns it up to maximum, and he he hears you know this voice talking about how oh we're going to you know, we, we intend to colonize the island, and we are going to send uh, more ships to suppress the natives. And he was like <laughs> taking a nap, and he wakes up, and he just hears this line, and he's like, "Oh my god, it's the aliens!" Oh boy, it's 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 Orson Welles, and it's it's a fake uh, alien invasion. I feel like I've heard this somewhere before. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay, I'm sure I that's a lot that. of why they had yeah. Maurice Lamarche do his. Yeah. Yeah. Even though the movie, at least, is not about an. I mean, it's kind of an alien invasion in that it's colonialism, but it's yes. not a literal alien invasion. Mm-hmm. So soon enough, he starts making an emergency broadcast. From my new SETI dish. Yes. <laughs> he aliens, aliens have invaded Griven Rock. Trust no one. <laughs> Look to the skies. So, I so love back... that he's like, from <laughs> breaking news from my new SETI dish. <laughs> yes. Like, oh my god. You embarrassment. Anyway. So basically, we... Uh, they finish up the movie, and they all hated it. I think Boulder has the great line, I used to think everything on Earth was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if only they had a boomer here to appreciate it properly. <laughs> but no. They are all too young for this nonsense. They needed more explosions. Or, or millions of years too old. Yes. Yes. So everybody starts calling in. Uh, there's a farmer who thinks that aliens have taken his cows. <gasps> oh, no. There's a woman who thinks that her husband, Edgar, is a giant cockroach in disguise, <laughs> which is a pretty amusing Men in Black reference. It was really good. It's pretty good. Hey, we we where... get a lot of good alien movie references in here. I, I need sugar. Speaking of Vincent D'Onofrio. Yes. Sugar. Water. <laughs> Put put the sugar in the water. That that is uh, that is a fantastic performance. It, it's so ridiculous. It, it's hard to believe it's him. He just he just spends the entire movie somehow looking and acting as if he's wearing his own body like a poorly fitting suit. <laughs> no, somebody else's body. It, yes, it, it's unnerving and really good. He's a really good actor. He's gonna hold that pig up and let it see the stars. Oh. So so they they these cows have been abducted and they 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 go to a farm where they believe that they're aliens in the cornfield but it turns out it's the cows. <laughs> they abducted themselves. This is all the cows plot. <gasps> Which we'll uh, come back to at the end of the episode. Yes, but lo- and it turns out that no uh now the, my cat the, is being moved. The natives of Tatooi is not the only earth movie the rescue bots have seen because Blades hopes that if there are aliens they're they're like that uh, that adorable little squishy brown guy who just wants to phone his house. Yes, he says. He says I hope it's just that small squishy one who's looking for a phone. Oh yeah. Oh, when they're talking about the aliens, yeah. D- d- describing ET as squishy is um, 
or squish a bowl specifically like um <laughs> well i mean just like like small and soft i could see small and adorable but small and squishable squishy. <laughs> you know squishy like humans are squishy Meanwhile, another resident of uh, Griffin Rocket has decided to go hunting for aliens in a hot air balloon at a pitchfork. <laughs> oh my god, these people. This goes about as badly as you would expect. <laughs> gestures wildly with the pitchfork, and now he is no longer in a hot air balloon. So, you know, we, we make fun of the Burns family a little for their foibles, but it turns out everybody else on this island are a bunch of goofy hicks. <laughs> kind of, yeah... A couple of scientists and, and a bunch of just oddballs that somehow still live here. Yes. Aren't you all supposed to be scientists or something? <laughs> I mean, maybe somebody's got to clean the lab, you know? That's true. Somebody's, somebody's got to be related be... to the scientists. Somebody's yeah. got to be trucking in the poison. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there, There's like, you have to have a whole support network for that kind of facility. <laughs> Meanwhile, Mrs. Niederlander believes that her cat, Mr. Pettipaws, has been abducted by aliens, but he is, in fact, up a tree. Aww, so so Kate and Heatwave get to come to the rescue, as as firefighters do when there is a cat up a tree. These two are recurring. Yes. Uh, I don't think she gets any lines this time, but uh, Mrs. Niederlander is voiced by Billy Hayes, uh, probably best known as Witchy Poo on H.R. Puffin Stuff. What? Oh, yes. Oh, That's something I didn't what? expect to hear referenced. Yep. Like, any time this decade. What? Yeah, I mean, she's been around forever. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, so while that is going on, uh, Oxley Prescott is still panicking in the town, and then the power goes out. And it starts just like the the street lamps just slowly keep progressive, like coming the the outage is coming towards you. It's it's pretty good effect. And the air raid it's sirens turn on. Yeah, <laughs> like who turned on the air raid sirens? As it turns out, the mayor, because he is not really any better than anyone else. Well, here. well he he is panicking the streets. Is specifically a reference to uh, the 1950s version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Ah. Uh-huh. Uh, where he's uh, mimicking the character played by Kevin McCarthy from UHF. Ooh. You're next. Don't you understand? All of you, you're next. Uh, and then amusingly, he plays the same character at the beginning of the 70s version, where he's like an old man doing the same <laughs> thing. And then I think he gets hit by a car or something. Oh, no. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, now Prescott is just, He's fanning the flames of panic, telling people to evacuate the island. People try and get to the ferry. It gets overloaded. It, it starts to sink. Uh, well, yeah, and- a, a 50s car jumps into the air with its fins and lands in a hay bailed truck and just starts shaking the entire thing. And then we get to see a, a lot of the weird character designs of the island floating on there. Like, there, there's some like 50s diner woman and there's a gangster and various other <laughs> odd background characters just all well and specifically around. that guy who jumps there is the burt reynolds looking guy from a couple episodes ago oh, i kind of figured but I, I didn't really get a close look at that one so they they've traced uh, the the source of all this they head to the power plant 
Um, you know, there is there is some creeping around inside. Uh, of course, it's all unlike many buildings in this town. It is human scaled, so only the humans get to go inside. And there That's they find uh, they find Graham, who has found out that there is a massive power drain emanating from this SETI dish because somebody left it on. So they have to get there before it overloads and the power plant explodes. <gasps> Again, fuses are for cowards. That's right. And as uh, Dr. Green later says in the episode, and, and it could crater half the island. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> also, so that... The, the bots are stuck outside, and they have this great conversation where Blades oh, yeah. talks about how aliens have, are the, the scary things that climb up on your face and plant eggs in your belly. And uh, so, so he watched. A, so he's seen Alien. Boulder, which which is adorable because he's just such a perfect cinnamon roll, and it was probably so terrifying for him. <laughs> and Boulder. Uh, thinks that aliens are big globby things that come and devour everything, including vehicles. Uh, and and uh, chase. I, I... Yeah. <laughs> well, we know he we know he likes action movies. Yes, and, and Chase is pretty sure that aliens are cloaked hunters who can't see you if you're covered in mud. And so Blade says, "We need to get some mud." <laughs> Come on, so, do it now! Kill me, I'm here! So this is where they are when the humans uh, are like, hey, we figured out what we need to do now. Oh, and they're and freaking also, about about the noises in the woods, and it's like, oh, it's aliens! Oh no, it's a Flatwoods monster! Oh no, it's just a uh, professor and her owl assistant. <laughs> the owls are not what they seem. He, he's telling us to give a hoot and not pollute. Yes. <sighs> anyway, so everybody, so they, you know, the power's starting to go out in the power plant as well, and all of the doors are electronic, so the, the humans are all trapped inside this soon-to-explode power plant. So the rescue bots <laughs> have to race to the SETI dish, which is about to, before everything can be destroyed. Everything is so dangerous. <laughs> And meanwhile, Doc Green has finally figured out that, oh, I may have uh, doomed the entire city. So he heads out there with his daughter in tow. Mm-hmm. Which you do when things are going to start exploding. Well, he does make her wait in the car. That's fair. And that is where she happens yeah. to notice that the rescue bots are driving by uh, without any drivers. <gasps> like cars that turn into robots possibly could? It... it... It's an odd jump that, oh, these are giant robot car things that they can't drive themselves. What? So, so they take this dish, they they tear it down, it plummets into a uh, into a crevasse where it explodes. You would think that they could just, like, cut the cables to it, but yeah. no, that's not dramatic enough. They need to plummet it into a crevasse. I mean, that never works in the movies. They uh, that, that, didn't, <laughs> that wouldn't work on Whopper, either. Oh, well... So the the Burns family gets there somewhat belatedly, you know. They sort of cover for the rescue bots, and it's Cody who figure you know Prescott's ranting again about this transmission he received, and Cody figures it out that oh well, that's obviously just the dialogue from the movie. And 
also, and so Prescott has like a you know bit of a breakdown here, and it turns out he's been transmitting the entire time. So he's yes, been humiliated on, his, his on live little, television. His little drone camera. He had his little drone camera recording the whole time, which has a little like light coming out of the bottom of it, like it's a UFO. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of technology. Yeah, so that's that's a thing, but but yeah. So so they all take off. Prescott's left there alone, stewing in his own humiliation and probably bodily fluids. Yeah. <laughs> and then once again, thinks that he is confronted by aliens, but it's the cows again. Oh, <laughs> or are they? What if they are Skrull cows? <laughs> oh no! What if they're Deceptic cows? The cows are not what they seem. <laughs> Oh, and uh, Frankie like gets a knowing look in her eye. It's like cars can't drive themselves. It's like, what? No, you, she we're suspects not even something that far but, from self-driving mm. car technology. People, yeah, we're actually getting a bit of a uh, bit of ongoing plot here. Yeah, yeah, she's figuring things out. She's she's forming a meta plot here. So well, that, I have the question is like, why didn't Optimus Prime teach the, these rescue bots how to create hollow matter avatars? Uh, I guess we only ever see one in uh, Prime. Doesn't I mean yeah, RC uses maybe it, but doesn't somebody I think, else? Because I think it's just RC who has them. I don't think we ever see them oh. on anybody else. Shit! Now you mentioned it must have come up more than once. Yeah, didn't I, it? I, maybe they just all have tinted windows. Yeah, maybe pretty much. And there's just RC, whose holographic avatar gets mistaken for Jack's mom a couple <clears throat> of times. Yeah. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah. Anyway, so that is it for the alien invasion of Griffin Rock. I I really enjoyed the Huxley Prescott stuff in this episode. Yeah, this yeah, this is was a really weird. fun episode that I feel like the target audience would just not get at all. But I mean, you know, they'd, they'd kind of get, you know, the, the wacky hijinks. Well, yes. And maybe some of the old movie references. They, they might have seen E.T. Yeah. Aw. I, I hope they kids. haven't seen Predator. There's a lot of cursing in that movie. I yeah, hope well, they have not seen Alien. TV edited versions. You, know, you could probably see could have seen one of the versions of the blob, probably the oldest. Well, I mean, the 50s version. blob is pretty harmless. Yeah. yeah. Especially with that uh, that jazzy theme song. Hmm. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the wall. Oh, I, uh, I once heard it described as sounding as if the blob were p- being played by Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I you know you know I I enjoyed the uh, the the bits for older viewers here. Hmm. You know they're they're not as obnoxious as the jokes in. Like you know, your your DreamWorks animated comedies get mm-hmm. no, possibly because they're not being delivered by a smirking Mike Myers ogre. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, you know, it, it is again a a cute fun episode. Yeah, yeah. Although, although it's a cute fun episode ab- about the the descent of a newscaster into <laughs> insanity, obsessed with aliens. 
I mean, well, he yes. was apparently already... And the downfall of his career, although he will probably be a newscaster for the rest of the series. But oh, sure. No, it's he hard comes to back. imagine how after this he, episode. He's in a ton of episodes. I mean, I mean if he's they their don't only have... reporter. Yeah, they don't have anyone else. So, you know, really? it's, it's going to be him, like it or not. They can't get a junior reporter. There's no one on the high school like, <laughs> drama squad or... um. Nope. Newspaper squad. Oh, something, yeah. Something, anything yeah, other I, than this lunatic. I, I knew enough high school drama kids. Do not put them in front of a camera. No. Yeah, well, yeah, probably. No. So, no, yeah. He, yeah. Go hmm. ahead. Oh, uh, so, yeah. So, we are on. So we, uh, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, time for David to tell us about Power Rangers. It's my turn again. For my oh, that's right. A couple that's minutes right. about He forgot to do this. Fast. Japanese TV show. I remembered this time. I have the me- I have the memory of a goldfish. Good job. Apparently, I remembered this week on Kuku uh, Sentai Go Go Five. Uh, my internet was being really weird, and it took me like over an hour to watch this episode. It's it because was you live in the annoyed. forest. I sometimes when it gets cold, my internet gets slower. I don't know why. I just know it happens. Anyway. <laughs> Episode, Time to Be a Hero. It, it's a kid-centric episode, which is usually the death knell of most episodes, but it's not entirely... Fo- well, it's sort of about a da- a kid and his dad in the woods and hiking and they encounter monster and hijinks and sue. But it's also the return of the comic relief astronaut woman. And the her and the Red Ranger go into the mountains because there's some weird stuff out there. And then they encounter this sort of horrific Groot-looking tree monster who's going to cause earthquakes and destroy a dam by turning four people from di- with different astrological signs into horrible tree-body horror monsters, including oh, no, not, this kid's father. Not blood types? No, no, it's like they, they, they need like a... What's it, the, an Aries is a fire like constellation and they need a water one or something. It, it's... Weird, but it's it's not blood types again, so that was a nice change. <laughs> so it's kind of a basic episode, except for the body horror that just reminded me of a Hercules movie that scared me as a small child about people being turned into trees, which I think was in the recent season of Rift Track, or um, Mystery Science Theater. I think that was one of the Hercules movies. Oh, yes, one of the Hercules I think the one with uh, Jane Mansfield. Yes, that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I didn't realize until, like, that Jane episode. Mansfield like, and Mickey Hargitay, the, uh... The parents of Mariska Hargitay from uh, from one of those Law and Orders. Yeah. So anyway, so it's some body horror that's that's kind of neat and different. The fight scenes it's it's ends up being a Red Ranger focused episode because a lot of a lot of episodes are like focused on one particular character and usually it's the mm. Red. But it was a pretty good episode. But I didn't realize until this episode when I looked it up about the comic relief astronaut woman who's in like a dozen episodes. Uh, wait, what is her name? Uh, crap, where is it? Uh, Kyoko Miyamura is the actress's name, and her voice was familiar, and I realized why. She's the voice of Evangelion's Asuka Soryu Langley. Oh, okay. And she was also, like, the voice of Chun-Li in, until, like, 2012 or something. Like, she was the original voice to a point. Right. But, like, it's Uh. Asuka. It's like, oh yeah, and Yay. she does a lot in this episode, and, and it's fun. 
Good. She's adorable, which is great. Alright, so until next time, we are all over uh, the internet. We are on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and we have a Patreon. Uh, yes, we are hosted on iaconunderground.net, uh, where we have a Patreon set up uh, to help with hosting and other expenses. That's patreon.com slash iaconunderground. Uh, when's this going up? Are we in March yet? What are we doing for March? No, did, I think this... No. It should still, still February. be in February, I think. Yes. Maybe. Still February, it's still Komodo Friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And next month will be something that... Once summer hits, like, we're kind of booked for what to do. Yes. But it's before that that things are a little rocky. We'll figure it out at mm-hmm. some point. It might, it might be more Komodo Friends. It could be just some random movies. Although, considering there's a lot of movies coming in summer and throughout the rest of the year... Yeah, it might be just more Kimono Friends. I know a lot of weird movies. Yeah. It should be Kimono Friends. We'll yeah. figure it out. Yeah. But, uh, of course, join us next week when we, when, hey, babe, we take a walk on the wild side. Until then, I'm Rob. I'm Jen. And I'm David. Mm-hmm.